to about from the team of Nebraska. Of course, it's a stoolie. This is FanGraphs Studio. My guest on this edition of FanGraphs Studio making his fortnightly appearance in the program. It is his fortnightly appearance. Former Pirates beat reporter for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review and also author of Big Data Baseball. It is the prolific Travis Sochik. Travis Sochik is the guest on this edition of the program as he has uh, in recent months. Travis Sochik joins us from the forest glade behind his home in the greater Pittsburgh area to discuss baseball and ideas. Our conversation begins with some discussion of attention. Tim Wu argues in his book, The Attention Merchants, that capturing and reselling attention has been the basic model for a large number of modern businesses. Sachik and I spoke recently about how the use of radar tracking systems in ballparks and the minor leagues, for example, might allow scouts to divert their attention back to the actual field of play, allowing them to better observe the players who are there. Sachik speaks this time about how, as a beat reporter, his attention was progressively taken away from the game by means of social media, other manner of blogging obligations, etc. And why does this program exist anyway? Indeed, to capture the attention of those listening to it. That line of inquiry comprises much of our conversation. We also discuss innovation in baseball, of course. What would happen if it were not allowed? What if, during every offseason, players were assigned randomly to the league's 30 teams? There'd be little opportunity for teams to find marginal value, to use StatCast data to identify underrated players, etc., etc. Travis Sochik does not like this idea. He does not like it at all. One programming note, this is, in fact, Sochik's last appearance on Fangraph Studio from the confines of his forest glade in Pittsburgh. He is, in fact, moving to the greater Cleveland area, where hopefully he will be able to find an equally charming spot at his new home. We'll get to that conversation in a moment. First, I must remind everyone that Fangraph's memberships exist for a reasonable sum. Readers of Fangraphs.com can support the great work that appears at that site. And for a slightly less reasonable sum, not entirely unreasonable, but still slightly unreasonable, readers can acquire an ad-free membership, which allows them to browse Fangraphs.com without the awful burden of banner ads. Not only facilitating faster loading speeds, but also liberating one from the distortive effects of advertising. Fangraphs ad-free membership, available at Fangraphs.com. Okay, now that advertisement is complete, and we will move on to the conversation, as I say. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? The very prolific Travis Sochik. And when does it begin? Right now. Magical conversation, Travis. <laughs> you may, some neighbor has the gall to mow his lawn in the afternoon during this podcast. So, there what could sort be... of life is someone living when he can <laughs> when he can mow? Is is this a retired person? It's actually one of my neighbors, who, out of his the kindness of his own heart, I guess, has taken it upon himself to mow his elderly neighbor's yard. Uh, How but, often have you uh, offered to to mow that same neighbor's lawn? Huh? Well, <laughs> I am not a direct neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And hey, right. where's his children? Why aren't his children mowing his lawn? Why aren't his children setting up the service? Okay, I why, see what you Why doing. is it falling upon the community <laughs> to maintain his lawn? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all right. I see what I see. What I see you immediately hopped on the defensive I sure did. Yeah, <laughs> it's a preemptive strike. Yeah, it was. It really was. Yep. <laughs> well, that's good. It's good that you have so much kindness in your heart. Yeah. I guess. I guess. Why not burn some bridges on your way out, right? 
why not? I mean, yeah. if you're never going to return, you don't need mm-hmm. bridges, right? No, you don't. You don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, <clears throat> uh, the apparently United, the infrastructure in the United States is crumbling, uh, and also your the sort of social infrastructure that you've created in the greater Pittsburgh area is crumbling as well. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Fair to say. <laughs> Can I ask an idiot's question? When, sure. when, um, when politicians and commentators cite infrastructure, do they basically mean roads and bridges? That's my interpretation. Okay. Perhaps tunnels? Mm, good point. However, however one is getting from here to there. Maybe uh, water management? Hmm. Okay, I'll allow that. Yeah. Well, you find yourself once again out in your uh, glade, but this, uh, I have to imagine this is, uh, seeing as we typically uh, will talk on a fortnightly basis, this must be one of the last conversations we'll have uh, with you uh, making up, ma- uh, making your base in uh, the Pittsburgh area. Yes, it's, uh, I'm sorry to say this will be the last podcast we record from, uh, from this location, and I know that's probably disappointing to you, Carson, and I know it's mm-hmm. disappointing to some people I met at the Fangraphs meetup in, in Boston, some of your fans mm-hmm. who, who mm-hmm. said they enjoy the setting of this podcast. The, uh, I enjoy the setting the, of this the, podcast. The sounds of nature, but yeah. I will do my best to make this an outdoor uh, location, too, in Bay Village, Ohio, where I will I will be moving there on, uh, we're moving in Saturday. I'm leaving here on Wednesday. Actually, what did you do? What did you arrange uh, in terms of? Mo- do you have movers? We do have a moving company, yeah. so we have a, okay. a moving van showing up on Wednesday, and uh, hopefully that ho- you, hopefully they be, show up and hopefully everything goes well. Uh, yeah. Have you packed up everything, or are they packing for you? We did the packing, so okay. I've kind of been living around boxes and they. Uh, a cluttered house for the last several weeks. Moving is not fun. No, no, it's uh, it's it's one of the worst things you can really go through outside of a serious illness or death. So, <laughs> <laughs> right after those, it's right there. <laughs> That's good. It's a it's a great time. I'm glad <laughs> it's a great time to do that. Yeah. We're in the midst of a of a of the second 500 year storm in a matter of a week. And a storm, yes. These yeah. storms are, are crazy. Yeah, they're uh, they're, crazy. they're terrible. Yeah. yeah, they're terrible. Yeah, but not quite as terrible. You're suggesting as moving of your well, own volition. perhaps moving of maybe it's number four on the list. Okay, uh, all right. After all right. natural disasters, it's true. Actually, uh, I don't know if you've ever participated in a um, in a Passover seder, but you will go through when you talk about the different plagues. And I think that moving is one of the plagues. I, I don't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> having to pack and and move is uh, is one of the plagues. I'm pretty sure. And you have to you have to say goodbye to people, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, yeah. I hate saying goodbye. Now it does appear as though you've uh, you have been diligent uh, right up to the end here, because uh, you spoke with Neil Huntington recently. I did. Juan Nicasio was sort of uh, one of the the reasons you were probably talking to Neil Huntington, right? I mean, that's been there's been a general unrest here in the city of Pittsburgh regarding its baseball club, and mm-hmm. the Nicasio 
uh, transaction is, is one of those reasons. But uh, I don't think that was my main my main purpose in speaking with him. Well, what was your main purpose? Uh, what was this? I was working on several stories. But uh, basically it was my last time. Huntington's usually available Sunday mornings before home games. Uh, so I was trying to get him, bounce a number of topics out, off him mm-hmm. before I left. What's uh, Wait, so th- first of all, that's interesting. It, do, you, do you know, is that typical for front office members to have not just a set time, but uh, because of what managers are, managers typically can be found at a specific time before every game, right? Right, usually before every game and after every game. Uh, but executives, uh, if there's no set schedule. Every team, it's somewhat... The access and availability varies quite and quite widely. Uh, so, yeah, but... So, Huntington's routine was uh, every Sunday, about 1 o'clock, in the press box at PNC Park. He's available for about 20 minutes. Uh, so, if you... So you can bounce all your big picture. You can second guess them. Then you can bounce off your big picture topics. And but uh, but as it goes in the industry, I think that's the consistency is good and the frequency of availability is is pretty good too. What if the Pirates have an away game on that Sunday? Uh, he is not available. Okay. So, <laughs> so I guess there's what twenty six weeks in the season. Twenty four. Twenty five. Sounds very possible. So he's all available. He's available, what, 12 or 13 times during the regular season. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And so um, how many people will show up to that sort of thing? How does it compare to, like, meeting with the manager? I mean, are, to what degree are beat reporters interested in that? Yeah. Uh, people are, I think people have become more interested in, over the last decade, the, uh, the general manager's position and decision-making. So it's always pretty well attended. I would say there's between 15 and 25 people there. Hmm. Oh. And it's right by this elevator lobby, or this uh, access to the elevator. So there's some awkward moments where people get off the elevator and they they stumble right upon a press conference. <laughs> and it, it seeming, in, seeming impromptu one. Yes, yes. So, yeah, uh, yeah but I, I guess that was my last one. So a, a, another bittersweet moment living in Pittsburgh. Did you mention that to Neil Huntington as you were uh, sitting there in the, you know, in the among the crowd of reporters? I did. Oh, did you? Well, after the crowd broke up. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you have a sense that I, I imagine that you're asking questions that might, well, and, and, and I don't know if it's maybe this has uh, even been accentuated by the fact that you're covering more national stories now than you did when you were a beat writer. Uh, I'm now a part of the national media. <laughs> you are, right. Yeah. Yeah, not international, but national. And uh, do, do, you, do you have a sense that maybe you're asking a different type of question than some of your co- your colleagues that have gathered? Uh, yeah, typically, yes, yeah. because we're not as interested in the, the most recent transaction or what the... F- number five prospect is doing in the, the minor league. You know, is Austin Meadows going to finish the season? So, uh, yeah, I think they are different questions. And uh, one of the things I was asking him about is for a story next week. So I don't want to reveal that subject. Yeah, but, well, yeah, well, you, can you find the, the fine line between revealing and teasing? <laughs> 
I often struggle with that. Uh, yeah, it's about the future scouting in this. I'm basically following up on can StatCast and scouts coexist, coexist peacefully. Because I know you uh, followed up with that with some interesting podcasts with Dave Cameron. It was fertile. Yes. You, the, the post that you, you wrote was fertile. I hope you don't mind that I that I addressed um, well, it's it's certainly not my topic. I just find it interesting. Yeah, and uh, the Astros made it a topic by firing eight people mm-hmm. and claiming they will uh, fill the positions. But yeah, I've heard some of the. I know. I think Eric was talking about some of the anxiety he's heard, and he's more closely connected with scouting circles. But I have heard it too from scouts worried about what they'll what the future has in, in store for them, mm-hmm. and and. The media industry, we've seen technology really disrupt <laughs> this profession. So I'm aware of, of the threat. And I also live in a city in Pittsburgh where robots have started driving cars. What is that? Uh, threat, what are you talking about? Is there the Uber. They're testing the Uber driverless cars in Pittsburgh. So you will see these. Now, they do have a, a driver uh, in the driver's seat in case something goes amiss. But mm. they do have – Uber is using – driverless cars in Pittsburgh, and you know, they're, they're carrying passengers in these cars that are just run by uh, the radar and the, the, the computer. What is it? Is it a Tesla? It's all... I don't think so. What no, brand of car is it? Uh, I think they're... Are they Priuses? I don't know. You're asking the wrong person. Ask, you, ask your own self. I should know this. I mean, I've seen them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have this very large apparatus with a spinning radar contraption on the top. Uh, but yeah, so I've been more distracted by that than the actual make and model. But I, I feel like there's several different models. I feel like some of them are like Toyota hybrids. Yeah, that would make sense. I, I know that you had at one point had talked to John Daniels a little bit about this. I did. I did. And he seemed to have a position um, that is similar to the one that Cameron uh, was sort of suggesting, which is that yes, uh, more than hurting scouts, it will create opportunities for them essentially to use more of their skills. And that, that's right. Yeah. And and I think Neil falls in, without revealing too much, mm-hmm. I believe Neil always also falls in that camp, that there's always going to be a need for human scouts and that technology should actually uh, enhance uh, the ability to, to do their job. And one interesting thing he said is, uh, like I think David mentioned, for a long time a lot of scouting was uh, data entry. You're marking down radar readings or pop times or uh, run times. And you know this technology should free, assuming it eventually trickles down, or even to like Division One colleges and that sort of thing, it should free scouts up on the maybe at the upper level amateur side and certainly in the pro side to. Uh, not be doing data entry, and also, uh, <laughs> as Neil pointed out, you'll scouts will keep their head up during the entire game because when you think about if you're doing data entry during the game, mm-hmm. you're you're watch you're watching the radar gun, you're putting your head down, you're writing something down, you're picking it back up, so you're actually missing a lot of the things going on on the field if you're you're not just focused solely on the action on the field. And sort of like a, this is a little bit like my experience in the press box where I guess sort of an inverse of the problem, but because of social media and because of the 
the demands of the web and publishing online and all, all that sort of things. I, I feel like writers have never spent less time watching the game than they do now <laughs> because they're so they're so distracted by all these other obligations. Whereas if you're thinking about a 1950s press box, guys are probably just watching the game because they, they have there's nothing else to do. So they're just watching the game and they're picking up on details. They're probably they're, drinking and probably drinking, yes. Yeah. They are probably yeah. drinking too, but I could sort of relate to that, a scout being distracted by doing data entry, where you think about st- the promise of StatCast is you eliminate all that, and they just can focus on uh, picking up things. What is a guy doing away from the ball? Is he backing up properly? Is What's the pitcher's body language? Can he find a pattern that uh, the computer cannot find? So interesting things like that maybe can is an example of how this can accentuate te- technology can accentuate the the human scout <laughs> or or maybe this won't help at all and all these guys will be fired i hope that's not the case but uh yeah this is a 10 billion dollar in- industry you'd think there is enough there's enough dollars to to fund a scouting department the uh, uh jeff sullivan recently tweeted out a a, a link to an article from the London Review of Books, and one of the reviews, um, let's see, uh, well, the author was uh, John Manchester writing for the London Review of Books, but one of the books he was reviewing was The Attention Merchants. From the daily newspaper to social media, how our time and attention is harvested and sold. Essentially, the in the, the thesis of this particular book and a couple other books similar to it is that um, uh, it's essentially our... It is where, like, yeah, where we're directing our attention is the is is constantly the thing that's being competed for, and uh, that is that is in being commodified, and it is the product ultimately. It's the product. It's the thing that we trade. We somehow are trading it. And what you're ta- what you're talking about is uh, a different sort of attention, right? But how uh, how scouts use their attention and how writers use their attention when they're attempting to just the game and it, it, there has to be some it has to be some, somewhat paradoxical and I know that this I'm not the first person to to touch upon this paradox that as more items are introduced um, to the market essentially to make a to uh, make our jobs easier our lives easier that in fact uh, really what it does it just um, creates Opportunities for us to direct our attention to other useless activities. <laughs> Don't you think? I do. And I, uh, from my experience in Major League Press Boxes, that, that's true. And uh, I think you see a lot of writers spending a lot of time looking at their laptops and phones, and I'm guilty of that. Mm-hmm. I have joked with my friend David Manel. David Manel, who lives in Maine, we know. Yes, yeah. he is. Yes. And, uh, you raised a, you raised multiple glasses with him when you were up uh, visiting the <laughs> recently. We we sure did. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, that was uh, yeah too many. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. It, my fondness for Maine only grew. Yeah. Uh, and you guys are going to connect at some point. Dave is a fan of yours. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I did, let's. I mean, that I I have to say, this this may not be a helpful comment, but I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the word fan because 
because I yeah, there's no he's low, a Carson fanatic. There's no lower opinion that I could have of someone that they're a fan of mine. I don't think anyone wants to have that title. You know, they could. Here's what. Here's here's what we. Here's can we agree maybe here? Well, they exist though. I'm telling you, I've mm-hmm. met them in person. Perhaps the perhaps this is the point is that uh, I don't necessarily have any convictions. I wish I had some convictions, but I have some inclinations. I, inclinations towards leisure and the uh, the sovereignty of the self, you know, and um, and the and, uh, and 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 maybe um, and maybe there are some folks out there who say, oh, I, I like that he articulated that, you know, it was an idea that I wanted to have articulated, and maybe I didn't even know it was to be articulated. I, I certainly am indebted to many people who have articulated concepts or ideas for my benefit, you know. That I maybe I had suspicions about these ideas, but no one had actually said it. You know, and this is what we're we're having a big conversation. It's not always a two-way conversation. You know, um, sometimes we're receiving in, uh, new ideas from one person, and we're accidentally even passing them along to another. It's a beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. That part's beautiful. Travis Sajak. Yeah, I I hear you. I'm listening. I mean, frequently I'm <laughs> I'm part of a conversation with you, and you don't know it because I read every one of your posts. You know that I do. Oh yeah, because I have to you, send. I send you a link. Uh, you write. I'm gonna have to send you a very nice at the for my first anniversary here. I'll have to send you a very nice gift. No, I don't. You, you. Don't worry about that. It just make me feel guilty for not getting you anything. <laughs> but what you know what happens? Uh, here's how it goes. Um, it, this is not something that everyone would know necessarily. You, 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 you say you announce that you have uh, submitted a post, a draft, and then I. Uh, we'll read it over. I might ask you some questions along the way as I'm reading it. Sometimes annoying questions, sometimes useful ones. Um, and then I say, and then when I've published it, I say, uh, here's, uh, your post is now, I say sometimes now available to the public. Uh, yes. Is now, now appears on fangraphs.com, I'll occasionally tell you. And then I say I something like, please, uh, please alert me if, if you find that I've ruined anything. And you rarely ruin it. You, you, I, I would find uh, pro- most times you improve the. the I try to try to, but see, yeah. it's, it's yeah. standing on the shoulders of giants. Well, uh, giants like Travis Sajak. Mm-hmm. But that's the point. But I'm in a conversation with you. I, it's of course, it's a very intimate experience. Anytime you spend any time, or, you know, or spend a, an extended period of time with an, with an author's work, you, uh, you, you get to know that person pretty well, and so. Uh, you and I are in a conversation, one one sided sometimes, which is why I do most of the talking when when we have a podcast because I get to, I have to give back. I have to give back. Well, thank yeah. you for giving for giving All back. Right. Uh, but yeah, but I was, but yeah, I, was, I joked with Dave in the press box that. We were here all night. I don't even think we watched. I don't even feel like we watched the game. And you think about it, like. Uh, the PNC press box is up at the very top of the upper deck. It's a great stadium, but it has one of the worst press box vantage points. That you're so far away from the action, mm-hmm. so you can follow pitch location better through the uh, MLB game day uh, than you can by watching the game. And you know, all the stack cast readings and social media, and you can just get distracted. Or you're writing on deadline, and you have to you have to have a draft of a running game story done after. The final outs recorded. So the last three innings, you know, you hope you have some idea of how the game's going to go, and you're you're writing. So that's an example of you know, this competition for attention, and I think it's hurt the quality of uh, uh, some day to day 
nuts and bolts writing, anyway. But the, the scout, that the advantage scouts might enjoy is sort of the inverse of this, is that technology should actually allow them to uh, have a more full-focused attention uh, on the game. I think that, the, so the, the problem with that, right, is if you are an organization, and of course the, the larger any sort of organization gets, the, the greater the tendency is to attempt to measure how the constituent members of that organization are performing, right? So, the, so you want there to be quality control. You want every member of the um, you want every member uh, of the organization to be a representative of that organization's core principles, right? And I can give you an example. Sure. I don't know if you're familiar with the, with George Kelling. Uh, I actually happen to know George Kelling. He is one of the um, uh, one of the original. Uh, I don't know how you'd say it. Uh, inventor. He's not an inventor. He he conceived of the broken windows theory of policing. Oh yes. Okay. Yes, and yes. this is not a particularly uh, popular um, way of. Um, it's not uh, popular in certain areas of the public at the moment, right? Now. <clears throat> Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm, I, I could not give you a, a thorough explanation of broken windows. The, you know, the basic one is um, that if things are perhaps nicely preserved, if you address small problems, then they will not mushroom into big ones. And so far as I understand it, one of the main ways of doing this is to have community policing, right? To have police in the communities developing relationships with the people in those communities, um, so that so that uh, the people trust the police which is very much not the state of things today. Do you think that's fair to say? That's just judging from media coverage. Yes, I would say that's fair, that's a, fair that's, And say. that's a careful yeah. answer, Travis, and I and I think yeah. that's fine. I think that's fine that you answered it carefully. My point is, though, and I know this from talking with George, is that the public perception of broken windows is very different for him, according to him, than the than the intentions he's had in installing it at various, you know, helping to install that uh, style of policing in, in various municipalities, right? And and the problem is that a, anytime you go to you know, say I don't know say it's like the New York Police, right? I don't know how many thousands of men and women are member members of the New York City Police Department, but it's many, right? So there's and, and you know there's a whole history of doing things there. There's organizational traditions, some some good I'm sure, and, and then others um, less helpful, right? And then you also have you have all these individuals, right? It's composed entirely of individuals. So uh, we're not just talking about like the, the the police commissioner. You're talking about like the the guy who's essentially you know. He's ten thousandth on the uh, the ladder. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's one of the he's one of the newest police officers, or he's you know he's one of essentially like the least effective one, right? There's, there has to be a least effective one at any given point. There has right. to be. Yes. And communicating this theory, this message, and pu- putting it into practice so that every last representative of the in this case New York City Police Department say. Is able to um, is able to essentially have digested this and also observed its principles. Is it's that that is it's an it's an institutional problem, right? But 
at the same time, this is the intention of the New York Police Department is to, um, you know, embrace this sort of uh, practice. But it's very difficult because you start to, you know, you have this organization. And then I think like, so like with a baseball club too, it's the same thing, right? You might trust on an individual level, you might trust a scout. But if your job is to, is to, um, you know, with some degree of order, um, get information from scouts, right? And there has to be, it has to be normalized to some degree, right? Standardized. There has to be some sort of standard organization wide, otherwise it creates problems. So if you free scouts up, are you, are you really, are they really going to, or when, when you say free scouts up, is it really going to be possible to allow them to have a sort of, to, to, to have their own experience and deliver this sort of, information back or is there always going to be a tendency of an organization towards standardization well that's a great question but the promise of this is to allow for more uh, to get away from the traditional scouting report and to free people up to use their eyes use their instincts maybe use their reporting skills to learn more about the makeup of the player background and to, uh, there should be less focus on standardization, but with the scope and the scale of these organizations, I, I guess that could be difficult. But this isn't, there's not 10,000 scouts in an organization. There's, uh, Wait. how many are there? 20, 20 30? Yeah, that's exactly Like full time, yeah. full time scouts. So there's not that many. It might allow you to find out who is, it might separate scouts more. You find out who is really mm-hmm. good at uh, finding patterns and digging up background. And maybe it allows for a new type of scout to enter the game that isn't just an ex-player. Uh, I don't know. We've, we've seen some of that. It would uh, be it, w- it would be very exciting if, if one club were simply to say, we are going to... Um, we're going to give each scout essentially full autonomy, right? And we're not going to require them, as you say, to... Re- to um, to record certain data, right? We're, we're going to rely on cameras or radar uh, to gather the, the sort of uh, the, the most easily um, accessible, or, you know, collectible data, and then we're going to say you employ all of your powers um, from all of the exposure you, you know you've had to the game, and um, and to, to develop a, a truly idiosyncratic way of uh, assessing those players. I would like, you know, but I feel like it's maybe uh, this is something that would, this was happening in a novel. I feel like it's a fiction. I feel like it's a dream. Hmm. I think it would be pretty I interesting. I think it would be very interesting. And if all the inf- if all the teams are using the same player and ball tracking information, then isn't the way you separate yourself through, uh, through your, your actual human... Mm-hmm. Assets and what they're picking up. Would you would you allow your scouts if you were a, a general manager? Would you allow your scouts to drink as they watch the game? <laughs> That's a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what good could come of that. Well, certainly after the game, I suppose you that's you trade information. They go out their scouting buddies. Of course, then they're exchanging information you might not want them to share. But that's part of the culture. But in-game drinking, I don't know that. I don't know that they're that would enhance performance. <laughs> what um, what percentage of the postseason do you think you've been 
you've been enjoying a uh, adult beverage during the composition of that of those. Oh, uh, not many. Uh, Are you saying at least one? Because at least I have David Appleman on the line here, and this was a this is yeah, gotcha I've, journalism is gotcha. at its finest. <laughs> yeah, I've had an afternoon beer too while composing a post. Yeah, but I've but yeah, I've never been intoxicated or anyone. Well, there's a there's a uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying intoxicated. There's a there's a wide gulf between the two. And I do a lot of my writing in the morning. So if I was drinking then. That might be a cause for alarm. I think so too. Yeah, I think right. so too. especially if your son is. is pre- I think there are some no, arguments are against, some that. Yeah. against that. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, not, not many. Um, <clears throat> All posts are written with a, a sober mind, or ninety-eight, ninety-nine percent. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> well, I yeah. I mean, I, I drink quite often while I'm editing your posts. Uh, <laughs> sometimes it's necessary. You know, I mean, a lot of late nights. Those, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but. Um, yeah, I, I, I would. I would certainly allow it. Here's a, here's another question. Now, obviously, the, the concern among scouts is that um, any any sense of change, any sense of indecision, for one who is gainfully employed, is uh, is bad. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've lived through that, so I've seen. Uh, I mean, I worked at a newspaper that no longer produces a newspaper than the city limits of Pittsburgh. So, yeah, and I, the, the World Wide Web is really complicated, and, and mobile device uh, things have been complicated for, uh, for paid journalists. So yes, I understand why, and people should be threatened because there there are some changes that eliminate jobs, and those jobs don't easily always, you know come back in the same shape. No, they don't. Uh, and he, so yeah. here's here's the problem: is innovation that is the thorn in in in, the, in our side? What if you were to say, because because all of this right comes from attempting to gain competitive advantages in in the sport, right? You yes. say even if even if um, Neil Huntington or you know Jeff Lunau has said that there will be the same number of scouts uh, after after this restructuring as before, right? So the reason you make these changes is be, is essentially to gain a competitive advantage because of the desire to win. And of course, if you in a game, if you don't, if there is not a sense that one or the other, that you know everyone's trying to win, then that damages the integrity of the game. Sure. But at the same time, it's this innovation to win a to to win a game. To win baseball games, which are of sort of a f- fictional consequence, right? It's a, it's totally constructed. We've constructed these rules to have these people play for entertainment purposes, um, but it ultimately there's sort of a conservation of energy. You know, there's 162 games, and in each case, one team or the other is going to win. But when you start talking about restructuring front offices, then you are actually affecting real people's livelihoods. So there's an actual uh, consequence to it. But w- what if we be, remove yeah. any possibility of innovation from the game? What would that look like to you? <laughs> well, here's one possible version. Well, here's one possible version. <laughs> Teams are randomly assessed players, right? You say um, the beginning of the year... 
So it's sort of like Little League baseball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, or... even even less so because <laughs> as a, there's always a draft process that goes along with that. Yeah, I mean, so it might be like the lowest levels of Little League baseball. But, I, you know, just start here. At the beginning of every season, players, the, the, uh, the group of those players who are regarded as major leaguers are – randomly assessed to through you know throughout the 30 major league teams and um and then those are their teams for that year and uh, you know if you're if you're a club you have had you've been able to exert no um no sort of influence over which players you've acquired you just play out the season i don't i don't love the way that future yeah. looks <laughs> <laughs> so you reject that particular view uh, I do. Uh, I mean, I guess what you're afraid of, if you're, can the the money be used? Uh, assuming you know you have a set budget as a front office, and you are running that group, and you're looking at how you allocate every dollar. Does the player ball tracking is it more efficient to spend X amount of dollars you would spend on scouts and scouts travel and benefits and all that on? another player or another part of the organization. So I think that's ultimately what you're concerned about. I I do think the human side will always produce some value, but how valuable is that? Are those insights? Yeah, but the other thing is you're creating, think of all the anxiety you're creating. Uh, Now, I've never been fired, um, but I've, I've, I've lived every day in fear that I will be. And... Maybe I should get fired just to see what it feels. Oh, I, that seems like an irrational fear. I feel like you're in good standing. Oh. Have you have you seen the, the notes Appleman sends me? <laughs> no, it's terrible. The things he says, it's threatening my family. <laughs> it's terrible. But um, all right, but, well. um, but it's not that hard to imagine because in the certainly in the online writing, even in the online writing industry. I mean, what was it recently? Just Vice Sports. Um, you know, folded up. Uh, there was the first. Uh, what was the Bill the Bill Simmons project at ESPN? Gr- yeah, Grantland. That was good uh, writers there. Yeah, obviously, was... Be- better writers than me. And uh, so you felt there's sense, some sense of randomness to it. But um, I guess my point is, in, if you if you have the sport right, and you say we have these 25 scouts, and then you, and then. And those 25 scouts are, right, I have a job. I have a job. I'm doing my job. Here's my job. And then you have this this GM who has an itch to succeed and to win more games, right? Or not just the GM, but it could be any. It could come down from ownership. It could be in front office. And he says, we'll get it. You know what? If we change this one thing, this will give us an itch. And so I'm not even saying that you're spending – you're going to even be spending less money overall on scouts. I'm saying that you – because there's a desire, there's this little itch to win more games. And you say, mm, we're going to change something. And then as soon as that happens, then you start looking around at, uh, then, you know, then you have uh, people become, <laughs> people become casualties of this, this uh, urge to succeed. This ambition. Ambition leads to innovation. And, uh, it's all. It's uh. But who? And 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 job destruction. And job destruction, anxiety right? Stru- yeah. <laughs> anxiety Anxiety strewn. And then so the you job. have a, you have uh, maybe a couple scouts lose their jobs. I'm not saying this, you know, not saying this is specifically the case with the Houston system, but maybe some people who were just happy 
doing their job. They didn't, they didn't necessarily go above and beyond, right? They fulfilled the terms of their contract. Perhaps they were not particularly innovative. They had no, um, they had no ambition to, you know, to re, um, to re-see, to, to look again at how things ought to be done. They just said, yeah, this is what scouts do, and that's what I'm doing, right? And then, uh, you know, uh, perhaps uh, the GM decides, well, that's not necessarily the – that's not the person who's going to help us um, gain a competitive advantage in the future. So he is expendable. Seems like a reasonable perspective, approach. Yeah, but to what end? So what's the what's the goal? What 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 is the uh, what is the positive outcome of this? I, I understand the uh, you know the negative aspects that mm-hmm. could be, but if you're not if you're not if you're replacing the positions with personnel and you're just not eliminate if you're eliminating the positions would be one thing, but to expect a high level of performance and replace non performers, that's Especially in a competitive industry like this, uh, you know, it's not like these are people selling things at a kiosk in the mall. So you expect, like, this is very specialized uh, position in a very competitive industry. You expect people to be really going above and beyond and doing the best they can and doing all that stuff. So just like players on the field, uh, you, know, you you have to perform. That's true. So. Uh, I think there's a difference between replacing people and just eliminating positions as far as... Uh, I still feel a deep... I find within me a deep well of empathy for those who essentially become... who become consequences of the, the churning desire for victory. I think... Yeah, I, would, I, would love, I would love the sport to reach a static place. And uh, and therefore ensure employment for all those who currently have it. Yeah. Well. <laughs> hey, there's that's admirable. Empathy is an <laughs> admirable trait. Because because again, winning more games than other teams, ultim- like that is not that is not um, the effects of that. Right. Whatever benefits that creates. That is not keeping people alive. It is not. It's not feeding or sheltering more people, right? It's just that maybe a city has a certain sense of uh, inflated identity, you know. It could be a positive sense, but it could be there's a bit more of uh, pride, local pride. But then, but that's also there's a conservation of energy there because you know if they're winning in Atlanta, then over in Milwaukee they're going to feel even worse about themselves, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, th- I do think you have to be careful. This is maybe this is not exactly what you're speaking of. But if you start seeing your friends being fired, uh, that causes it's a distraction. Then you're worried about your own security, and maybe your balance in life is thrown off, and uh, maybe you work so hard your family leaves you or something. So yeah, you want to you have to be careful and mindful of the culture in your mm-hmm. organization. I suppose too, right? So it has to be an attractive place to come work, uh, but also a place that is a productive work environment. So you s- the people in charge stay in power and they keep their lieutenants in power, and there is continuity. So it's an interesting balance, I think. 
to strike. You want to have some loyalty to people, but you also must achieve. And uh, empathy must be balanced with performance in some regard. Capacity. But if you were to make it more, if you were to make player acquisition almost a random occurrence, then you wouldn't require that. And there would be no need for any for an office. Of yeah, but right, so you could just. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think this version of baseball would not be popular? Yeah, I don't. I can't get it. What if it. you? What yeah. if the club was allowed to retain X number of players before the next season? Like you could say, like these three players, these five players, we want to retain because obviously they would become. But but then you would have like an expansion kind of draft, and you would need people to evaluate the talent. So you would need. Uh, and some would do it better than exactly. others. Well, so exactly right. So as soon as you have a, yeah. if, as soon as there is a mechanism in place to reserve certain players, right, then then you will see the effects of uh, every team's sort of um, uh, player evaluation strategies. They'll 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 be manifest, right? You'll say, oh, this team did a better job. They retained the right players. This other team didn't. Yeah, man. what would happen to fan graphs if we just had random player assignments? Well, we could say who's going to – we could say based off of the players that have been assigned to these teams who will win. We could do that. Like we would – a large – a significant portion of what we write, judging acquisitions, uh-huh. would be <laughs> eliminated. Uh, what percentage of the game is random? I mean, we're already dealing with – we're already dealing with a little bit of – no, not a little bit. More than that, right? Well, so, I mean, so what? Like st- the standard deviation for victories in any given year, like relative to Pythagorean wins, I think is like eight wins, right? That's pretty big already. That's a pretty that's a pretty big yeah. – like a team could be a 95-win team but only win 87 wins, and that would be within the, the sort of uh, you know normal distribution. Right. So we're, I guess we're contending with it already, which is why you know this. There's always a there's a point when you reach there's a there's a there's an uninteresting assertion you have to make in some articles when you're talking about a pitcher who's pitching poorly or a hitter who you know all the statistical and all the indicators are good except he has got a low batting average and balls in play or the pitcher who has pitched well except he's got a high batting average and balls in play, right? And you say, right. well, right. batted ball fortune. And you know that it, it's it's a, it's a very uninteresting moment in any piece that you could write a fan graphs, and yet you are saying, well, yeah, because randomness is part of this game. I don't know what the exact number would be. Maybe I'll ask Dave Cameron what percentage randomness plays, or variance at least. <laughs> but it's not totally skill. It isn't, yeah, for sure. Oh man, I think we di- I think we disagree I, I, a little I, bit. I, I, on this. I, Have you ever lost a job before? <laughs> uh, no. no. Are you nervous about losing a job? Have... Should I? Be? <laughs> <laughs> I do. Well, I mean, obviously, uh, it doesn't really make a lot of sense because um, we have we have similar jobs. So, uh, but but. But have you ever? I said in the past. I should say in the past. Have you ever been like, "Oh man, I'm going to be, I'm going to be fired, or I deserve to be fired"? Or do you do you somehow just have faith in your skill? Well, I have. 
I have faith in my skill to some degree. What concerns me more are about the the bigger market forces. Uh, what if a publishing company decides to lay off twenty percent mm-hmm. of its workforce? Are you are you going to be a part of that twenty percent? And what factors go into that? Uh, I worry more about the larger market forces and the decision makers at the top of those pyramids than I do. I feel like there's so much out of many workers' control uh, regarding so you're, uh, so, their their employment fate. So you're concerned about being sort of like a fodder that's uh, like a like a plankton that's uh, chewed up in the in the jaws of of the uh, the system. Yeah, not so much at Fangraphs because it is a smaller. Uh, it's a smaller mm-hmm. company, and and David Appleman's the best boss <laughs> in the world. Uh, <laughs> but when you're a part of a larger, uh, a, I was at a paper in Myrtle Beach that was part of the Knight Ritter chain. It got purchased by McClatchy before the peak of the the housing market. Uh, yeah, that was not a good place to be. So. Then, then you have thousands of people in an organization, and you have to make. So cuts your point and, is that at that at the, so yeah. at that moment, regardless of how of how good of an employee you are, it it's irrelevant. I think yeah, the larger the company, the further the decision makers are away from knowing the actual value of the people that are on the the chopping block. In many cases, I think, where a smaller company, I think you have a better idea of who is. Valuable. Who is not? There's less separation between uh, the, the the positions of the seats of power. That's right. So it's easier. So so you, w- the more you feel like an like an, a nameless sort of uh, you know a nameless drone, the more the more concerned you are. Yeah, I mean, I I could be really wrong about all this. I'm willing to entertain that possibility. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of how I. I feel bad. I mean, I guess you always have a supervisor who is more direct, and there's chains of command. So, in a smaller but, uh, company, do you do you feel like what do you do you feel like uh, you'd be able to use your powers of persuasion to if if you were informed that you would be uh, you're on the verge of being dismissed, you could say, "Well, listen, yeah, perhaps uh, some of my you know I haven't done my best work, but uh, I assure you, <laughs> is that?" What, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you could you could more play off the the human element, and uh, you could use the you could play the yeah. empathy. And uh, I yeah. always just imagine like you know you, you get fired and you automatically end up in a ditch moments later. To me, there's no there's nothing in between. There's no uh, there's no safety net. Yeah, it's uh, I mean it's a. Sh- so much of our identity is wrapped up in what we do, and jobs are so important. It's almost they're almost too important because I think too much yeah, of who we are I, becomes yeah, about yeah. what we do. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, the idea of losing a job is um, it, it's uh, it's terrifying, and what especially when you're people like us who have very few <laughs> skills that could that could translate. Have you, have you, have you ever industry. considered homesteading, so, Travis? <laughs> well, that's. Uh, I mean, even Uber. I said, well, if I lost my job, I would go drive for Uber. Now there's automated cars driving around. So there's another there's another option that's no, so, off the table. So, that's down the road. so, there's auto, so obviously automation uh, – no, I am hardly qualified to speak to this. But uh, from a dummy's perspective, right, every instance in which automation is a success, that should free up 
some amount of dollars that you know to 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 be contributed to uh what is it just like a a basic income what is the term um um where you just essentially you where every every citizen gets right, X dollars yeah. every year. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oddn't that happen? Uh, that, it just just oh, you look at we have a robot driving a car. Look at that robot <laughs> driving a car, right? The robot doesn't yeah, need I mean, any money. Think about right. I don't. Yeah. Think about the trucking industry. In twenty years, what if every truck driver is out of a job and we just have these drone mm-hmm. trucks? They don't need to. They don't need to sleep. They can go across the country and. You know, without a without a single break on their rechargeable battery mm-hmm. truck thing they're driving, there's a lot of disruption that could happen yeah. because of the work being done here in Pittsburgh and those <laughs> bastards at Uber <laughs> and the Carnegie Mellon Robotics Department. Yeah, yeah right. So, yeah, so where's the where's the extra cash? So what does that mean that getting a ride? Do, now, does Uber pass the savings along to you? You, the consumer, is that what happens? Uh, I don't know. Not enough to offset the of a job. the loss yeah. in any in any way. Yeah, and and some people, I don't know. Yeah. So we're going back to this idea of redundancy has been a theme. It, it has been, yes, yeah, and it, and it, and it is. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I read something about like AT and T, you know, when at the peak of its powers pre-internet, employed like ten times more people than Google is today in another kind of information sharing mm-hmm. giant. So these tech companies are not employing; they're only employing mm-hmm. a fraction of their the the equivalent giants of the previous yeah. era. So where are where all these go? jobs going? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the answer. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We're not the people to ask. Know. Usually, at this this is the juncture. Which when I have Dave Cameron on, we ask we ask Doctor Alan Nathan. <laughs> but I'm actually arguing that technology could help scouts. Yeah, no, so that's why. We'll that's see. why I think you. We'll see how yeah, that plays you, out. I think that you are, uh, at some level, you're a, you're an advocate for evil forces, Travis Sachik. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I, as if I needed to prove the point anymore. Who has never mowed his elderly his elderly neighbor's lawn? <laughs> and to return to the the most important point, yeah, you know, So are you saying that if we can get someone to write half your articles for you? Now, yes. Listen to this: if we can use automation, Travis, to write half your to do half your work for you, right? And you're going to get the same amount of money. What are you going to do mm-hmm. with those? That is a with slippery those, slope. With those extra four hours, or, you know, roughly, give or take. Are you going to go – are you going to spend those four hours? Are you going to spend them um, mowing your neighbor's lawn? Probably, probably mm-hmm. mowing my neighbor's lawn and giving mm-hmm. back to the community as much as I can. Now, yeah. you have to imagine that at some point, somewhere, when, uh, you know, labor advocacy groups were making the case for the eight-hour workday, right, they had to say, well – you know, if you cut us down to eight hours from twelve, people are going to be out there helping the community. They're going to be doing this. Now, I'm not saying that this is the actual root of the garden because I think that an eight-hour workday helps to allow people to uh, preserve their humanity. I actually am an advocate of the uh, three-hour workday tops. Is that's my position? Uh, but uh, well, how do you separate your workday? Because you are. 
seemingly doing things at all hours of the day. I am. Huh. Yeah. Have you sensed that? Have you sensed I, I have sensed that. It seems like you'll edit at night, you'll edit in the morning, you'll edit in the afternoon, <laughs> this and then you're podcasting. It's, it's like you're working 12-hour workdays. Yeah, I'm barely, yeah, I'm working, I'm working about half as hard as most other people, but for twice <laughs> as many hours a day. That's my goal. Do you have an efficiency problem? No, oh. it's not a problem. It's, um, if I work at, if I'm working at full level, then I, then I break down. You know, this is essentially, uh, I'm like one of the starter. I'm like a starting pitcher from from 1935. <laughs> you know what I mean? I could go nine innings, but it's because I'm not, you know, I'm throwing it. You know, you know, maybe 80 miles per hour, and I'm not mixing in sliders and uh, other sorts of uh, you know breaking pitches that are hard on my arm. It's it's basically all fastballs. And you probably have a great nickname too if you're pitching a third. Heine. My nickname is Heine. <laughs> Heine? Heine Manush. Heine Manush? Yeah. So, hey, something to be said for that lifestyle. His name was Henry, and then they, they called him Heine. I don't know if my clarity of thought was there throughout this conversation, but... Uh, well, listen, what, we're, what yeah. we're attempting to do is... Uh, I'm asking you questions. I'm asking myself questions, yeah. to which I don't know yeah. the answer. And anytime that's the case... You have to think. You got to think out loud a little bit, right? Yeah, there's there's a value in that, sure. And uh, uh, yeah, and I, but I, it's, to me, it's so difficult. I, I just, um, yeah, I have to, I have to sort it out. I have to sort it out how I feel about it. I think that there is something that is inevitably or invariably seductive about innovation. Especially innovation in baseball, because it acts as sort of like a pure form of innovation, right? Because there are fewer, there are fewer uncontrolled variables in a, in in sport, and that's I think one of the ways in which we're attracted to it. You say, oh, right, there are not as many uncontrolled variables, right? We have rule, actual rules of this game, so we have we have clear winners and losers, right? Uh, right, and that's the thing. Yeah. Right there? yeah. So right, and so there's clear winners and losers, so. The so there's a test. There's a test to see if it's going, if it's being, um, and and it's a merit. It, it's mostly a merit-based system, right? Where if I just told you, oh look, this this person makes a million dollars a year in private equity, right? And then, you, right, I say I tell you that, and you're like, well, I guess that's a measure of success. But then I tell you, uh, but uh, his. His uh, wife divorced him and his family hates him. You know, I don't know. Is he successful now? And then if I tell you he was born into someone who made $2 million a year. So if someone makes a million dollars a year, right? If, if someone's he's, – He's below re- – you're describing a below replacement level That's exactly right. Yeah, if you yes. – if, if, if someone – if an individual, if it's his intention to make as much money as he can, right, and he makes a million dollars a year. But one of his parents actually made two million dollars a year. Is this actually isn't this person a giant drain on the system? <laughs> isn't this person worth negative million dollars annually? Yeah, he is probably embarrassed his family. Yeah, that's a that's a total yeah. embarrassment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's the thing you cannot use. It's what isn't this the difference between like um, what was the conversation during the uh, 
during the the hearings for Betsy DeVos, Al Franken talked about uh, growth, like ways of assessing education. Uh, it was growth versus yeah, growth versus proficiency, proficiency versus growth, ways of assessing uh, students, right? To me- to measure student achievement, proficiency sure, is just sure. uh, you know if I tell you to spell business, can you spell business? Right, and so the answer is either yes or no. But um, and that would be proficiency. But if I said, <clears throat> uh, but if you know, if you say at the beginning of the year, if I said spell business, and the kid was like uh, G O O D, and you're like, that's not how to spell business at all. You just spelled good, and the kid's like, I don't know, I don't know the difference, I don't know what, what letters are. And then, it, but then you you ask the kid five months later, spell business. And the kid spells it um, B-I-S-S-N-E-S, right? Well, the kid can't spell business still, but he's at least much closer to spelling business, right? I see where you're so going So that's, that's a great yeah. improvement. Yeah. It is. That's, that's an important part of education. It is, yes, right. He's clearly so. developed some sort of tools. Now, he's still not spelling business right, but he's closer. <clears throat> and so, so proficiency versus growth. Growth. Growth is what we need. Growth. How the hell did I get that point? Were you, were you chaperoning me, Travis? Come on. <laughs> I'm not sure how you arrived yeah, here. Right. But, uh, but yeah, for our yearly evaluations, maybe this could be part of the uh, the criteria used. How do you think you've imp- do you think you've grown since you joined Fangraphs.com? Well, I will say I showed up here on day one. I couldn't make a GIF okay, or a GIF yeah. or however it's supposed to be yeah. pronounced. So I can do that. I can make all sorts of charts now. Yes, I, yes, I think and, you can, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I've added some new skills. How do you think that your uh, – how do you think that your – like stylistically, do you think you've changed in your sort of – because I know you had – you did sort of more national-facing blog work when you were with the Trib. But a lot of it obviously was the work of a beat reporter. Do you right. think that uh, do you think that, that you've changed stylistically? I think I've become more comfortable with this format, but I did blog quite a bit as a newspaperman, mm-hmm. and a more relaxed style it, uh, is associated with it. So I would I, I entered with some level of comfort, yeah. but I've, I've probably changed uh, to a degree. It's been sort of a slow, uh, maybe subconscious. Process, though, or maybe I haven't changed that much at all. You might be able to better answer that than myself, since I am, yeah, fixed in my own bubble of experience. Well, I think that also part of it is just like anytime you uh, you join a new um, journalistic organ, uh, they're just like uh, essentially, you know, you have to learn like the sort of usage rules of that particular place right. style, you know, the style guide or whatever. I'm, I'm still learning some of those. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's a lot of obscure stuff. And then there's also like, you know, using WordPress. I don't know how much WordPress you used before, but a lot of dumb stuff like that too. Is that, is that lawnman mode now? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I think the job's been complete. <laughs> You know, uh, just because the the lawn has been mowed, uh, I don't know. Did you, did you hear anyone using a weed whacker? You know, I didn't. Oh, but, uh, well, there's yeah, you know, yeah. But I am curious. Like, so we have a good Samaritan neighbor. Is he compensate? I've never asked. 
and, and I'm friends with him. Mm-hmm. Mike lives across the street. Okay. Uh, is he compensated? Is just out of the goodness of his heart? And where this elderly man has multiple children, shouldn't <laughs> what? Where are they in this process? <laughs> I, it's not hard. It's not hard to imagine a situation in which a parent uh, does not get along with his children. Those are all around us. Yeah. But, uh, but they occasionally visit, so there must be some relationship. Uh, you know, next time I see them, I'll, I'll ask them if it would... I guess I won't be here again. But yeah. if, if I was, maybe I'd approach them in, a, in, a, in the most polite way possible and ask them if they've considered a lawn care service or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, or something. But, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm interested. Uh, you know, it's interesting you get to move well, you moved to Bay Village, Ohio now, right? You have an opportunity to alienate a whole other neighborhood of people. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do. That's what I do. With a path of destruction, a scorched earth yeah. existence. Yeah. Uh, Hurricane Travis Sochik. Do you do you feel as though? Um, no, wait a second. You have a you have a son, a child. I know that. Uh, do you do you have any pets? I forget. We have a cat. Okay. Sweet. My wife brought a cat into the relationship. And, uh, you know, my wife has been, she has a, a job now in Cleveland, so she's been commuting back and forth since August 14th. That's a long commute. Uh, well, she's been living actually with my parents who live in Cleveland. So, and then you've been back in Pittsburgh. And I have, Monday through Friday, I've been alone with my son in Pittsburgh. Um, and, and your son has a nap right now. Well, but it must be coming to an end soon. It probably will be coming to an end soon. Uh, so yeah, he, he has a daycare a couple of days a week, but yeah, I have a, I have a new respect for single parents because it is, uh, it's a, it's a challenge to juggle. Oh, it's a challenge. Yeah, it is a challenge. And, and hey, uh, listen, a credit, a great credit to you, Travis Sachik. You've been producing, you know, uh, almost in almost every day you've been, you've had two pieces ready. <laughs> Demands of the game. Yeah. No, actually, wait, we could talk business right here on the air. Uh, it, it's coming up at three fifteen, and I still have to publish a post by Trav- by uh, David Lorla. Oh. Would it be all right if I did the, tra- the Trevor Bauer post tomorrow? Do you think? Uh, well, he he pitched last night, uh, and the the post is about how. So what are you saying? Uh, are you saying uh, about so it's a it's an element of how timely do you think it is? Could it? It's up to you. Do you think it can wait till the morning, or would it have more impact this afternoon? I could do it this afternoon. Oh yeah, I see. There's quite a view, quite a lot of video. In. Oh, look at this, video and charts, Oof, everything. Yeah, multimedia. Have you noticed that the streamable videos recently have been attempting to play advertisements? Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Not a big fan of that. No. Hmm. Yeah, not a big fan of that. Oh. Okay. Uh, all right. Yeah, I could get that up today, and I'll do. I can do Laura's tomorrow. It's totally up to you. It doesn't sound like that's what you're trying to say. Well, I would my pre, uh, my. So prefer- tell me your preference. My yeah. preference would be to see it published today, yeah, but will it won't be a lost cause if it's published tomorrow morning? No. Uh, no. I don't know what David's post is. It might be. Uh, it might have a more timely element, and you have a child to raise, so you should use your editorial judgment to yeah. create a, a, a preference list. No, I think we should. <laughs> I think we should we'll, we'll publish Trevor Bowers. His is a bit more. It's about Paul Paul DeYoung and the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. 
Oh. He brought it to Illinois State, I think. I don't know if you know Michael Bauman, who writes for The Ringer, I believe. I've had some interactions. <clears throat> yeah, Michael Bauman and I had uh, a couple years ago, because uh, Paul De... I don't even know. I'm probably saying his name incorrectly. I apologize. Paul DeYoung, DeJong. Anyway, his name um, was creeping to the top of my uh, college leaderboards for, what, the Missouri Valley Conference, I oh. guess? And I wrote to Michael Bauman. I said, what's this guy's deal? Uh, and then Michael Bauman was like, yeah, he's pretty good. And I was like, well, the numbers say he's really good. And uh, here he is now starting shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals. How about that? It's not what anyone ha- expected. Have any, has a team ever reached out to you about your fringe five? Fringe five process. I know I, you kind of. I know you spell it out in pretty clear terms, but yeah, uh, because you've had some real finds do that. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I, I'm still waiting for the for the big bites, uh, Travis. Well, yeah, uh, I could, Jose Ramirez, right? I'm thinking about some Indians recently. Yandy Diaz. Yeah, yeah Diaz uh, and uh, Danny Salazar. Corey was Kluber one of those guys. Kluber predated the French Five. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah, he predated yeah. it, but of course uh, he's turned into a pretty good player. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I guess what is po- possible? Well, I was thinking um, maybe a Cy Young winner this year. We'll see. Yeah, you know, how does he compare to Chris Sale at this point? Favor- well, uh, he did have the DL trip, which kind of pushes down his his county numbers. But I suspect there will be a lot of recency bias in the electorate and uh, within the electric elect- electorate. Yeah. And and I. And Kluber's been remarkable since he's come off. He's been outstanding. So, yeah, I think he's got a shot at it. They have almost uh, uh, precisely the same strikeout and walk numbers. Of course, th- Sale has to in 20 mornings. So. Yeah. yeah. But I was telling – I was t- getting back to my cat. Mm-hmm. And okay. <laughs> so my, this Rebecca, it's her cat, and they have a closer relationship. I'm not really a cat guy. But when Rebecca had left – the cat became very needy for attention, and uh, I, f- I found myself almost managing two children, which was quite difficult. So, uh, yeah, the cat was taken with Rebecca. And so you're cont- you're dealing with that too. Now, what well, if, could you, what could the cat have gone to your parents' house? How would that have? Well, worked? yeah. The, well, last week the cat did make the. Uh, oops. No, that's okay. The commute to my parents' house, so, so he's, the, the cat is gone. Okay. We'll be reunited soon. Yeah. Okay. Soon. Hey, well, listen. Uh, this is as always, uh, Travis. It's been a pleasure. Has it been? It's been a wide-ranging conversation, but I don't think uh, without merit in some cases. Right. Okay. Oops. Cast hey, a wide. You know what? Huh? I think uh, I just picked up a phone call accidentally. <laughs> my laptop. My laptop is connected to. My mobile device, and I think I accidentally picked up a call. Who is it? Uh, the moving company. I should probably return that call. Are we talking to them right now? No, I just hung up on them. Yeah, you should do that. But anyway, yeah. like sorry, I say... Sorry about no, that. No, no, it's been a pleasure, as I say. Uh, always. It's always a pleasure. Like, likewise. I always enjoy our fortnightly uh, conversations. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, uh, so I said thank you to you. Um, let's, let's end now. We'll, we'll speak briefly off air. Uh, for the moment, though, I will say that is the prolific Travis Sacha. Uh, uh I'm Carson Sestouli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.